We are continuing our study on Advent, and again, if you're new to the concept of Advent, if that's not uh, the kind of church you grew up in, they didn't do Advent, or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, the word Advent simply means coming or arriving. It's, it's the handful of, wake, uh, of weeks between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas where we wait with expectation for the coming Savior. And here's the thing, the, the best word to describe the concept of Advent is the word hope. We wait with hope because for thousands of years, people waited that the promised one would finally come. And we get to wait over these few weeks, this side of the manger, this side of the cross, and this side of the resurrection. And so our waiting is with uh, an even greater hope. The thing is, though, the, the wait wasn't fulfilled the way the people expected it. Their expectation wasn't the way they expected, meaning they thought he would come as a conquering king. And he came as a humble baby. And so we do have something in common with the generations of the people of God because we are waiting for him to come as the conquering king. We believe he will come at any time. And so we continue to wait with this great expectation. And that's the heart and that's the idea of Advent. I encourage you, please, to grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one this morning, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we invite you to join with us in our tradition as we do every week as we hold up our Bibles and as we say this together. Let's say this. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, uh, it's page 816, page 816, Luke chapter 10. So we began our Advent series last week in Luke chapter 17. This week we're moving backwards to Luke chapter 10 as though there's a gravitational pull towards Luke chapter 2, which is the historical Christmas story, which is where we will be uh, next Sunday morning and we're moving backwards from some more familiar texts. Last week was the story of ten men who encountered Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, they were uh, suffering from leprosy. Jesus healed the ten of them. Uh, they raced off to what was next, but one stopped and returned to give thanks. And I shared last week that that is one of the first sermons I ever remember preaching as a teenager back in high school. This morning is a text, though, that is extremely well known if you've been in the church or if you've known the word for a long time. But it's actually such a familiar story. I've never preached it. It's a story that I've I've assumed that we're familiar with. And so uh, it's not one I've ever stopped and and taken the time to, to preach through or to study through. But I believe it's a great Advent thought for us this morning as we look down at the end of Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. I shared last week Jesus was on a road trip as well, and I said last week Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Holy Week. He was on his way to the cross, and I said he wasn't on his way for a family reunion like maybe some of us had over Thanksgiving or we'll have in Christmas. I said, no, he was on mission. But the fact is, this week's story is kind of like what we've done. Jesus is going to gather with some of the people that he's closest to. If you're not familiar with the story of Mary and Martha and their relationship with Jesus and their brother Lazarus. 
these are some of the closest people to Jesus, and he really is gathering together. Like, if, if they are good followers of Jesus, the homemade banana pudding was there already waiting for them to gather around or whatever that is, you know. And, and, and they're coming together for, really, for, for friendship and, and for connection, which we can relate to this time of year. Verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary. And I want you to see where she is and what she's doing She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And the reason where she is and what she's doing is so important is we see a profound contrast between Mary and Martha. They were sisters, and they're at the same meal, in the same moment, in the presence of the same master. But they had profoundly different mindsets. Because while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and as she listened to the sound of his voice, we read in verse 40 that Martha was distracted. Everybody say the word distracted. That's the word we're going to kind of center around this morning. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his teaching. Martha was busy. She was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You ever tried to tell your siblings what to do? It doesn't work too too well. So maybe if we get Jesus to tell our siblings what to do, maybe then they'd do something, right? Tell her to help me. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. (laughs) Every time I read this, that's what I think of. And if you don't know what that is, that's just sad. You are anxious and troubled. That's where we're really going to park for most of our time together this morning is distraction leads to a state of being anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Some English translations say the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. This idea of distractions and the cause and effect of distractions. But we first see that distraction from Jesus leads to anxiety. Distraction from Jesus leads to anxiety. And for some of us, even when we're locked in with Jesus, we struggle with anxiety from time to time. But for sure... If we aren't centered on Jesus, if we're letting the distractions rule our attention or rob our attention, it will lead to anxiety. As a matter of fact, anxiousness is found in, in this time of year in a profound way. And here's the thing about, about, um, about Martha's anxiousness. She had a reason to be anxious. Often the things that make us anxious... Are, are anxiety-inducing. It makes sense. Jesus was eating in her house. I'd be anxious. I'm wound tight on a normal day. Like, I'd be freaking out, man. Like, all of you are invited to an open house to our home today. And we're delighted that we've invited you to our home today. But I wasn't delighted yesterday. When I was trying to help get the house ready, delight was not the emotion ruling in my heart. And Maurice is just like all happy and making cookies and stuff. And I'm like, there's a list to be done. And she's like, I know, isn't it great how many people have offered to help us? And this is so wonderful. And I'm like, what? And here's the thing. 
I'm nervous about inviting y'all over to the house. And ain't none of y'all Jesus. <laughs> like, let's keep it real this morning. Jesus, the healer, the one who speaks and dead people come back to life. They saw that eventually with her brother. Jesus is in the house. Of course she's nervous. And then she's nervous not just because Jesus is there. She's anxious because her sister won't help. Right? Because those of us who grew up with multiple siblings, we all know there's that one sibling who refuses to do their share of the chores. You know what I'm talking about? We have experienced that this week in preparation for the open house. Because one of the things we've learned over the years with multiple kids is if you send them to go clean up after themselves, you cannot send them uh, two at a time. Only one can go in that room at that time. Because if more than one enter the room, there will probably be fighting, there might be playing, but there most surely will not be cleaning. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord this morning? And what we've noticed is we send them in with the clear, I mean, understandable mission. Clean up your stuff. Not your brother's stuff, just yours. But then he exits the room and the other brother enters and always what we hear, he didn't clean up his stuff, that's not mine. Right? All of a sudden their favorite toys turn into like poison. I ain't touching it. And then she's saying, Jesus, my sister won't help me. She had a reason to be anxious and... The, the sad irony is that this time of year where we celebrate the advent of the Prince of Peace, for many of us, is anything but a peaceful time. For many people, this is a season actually where peace seems to be robbed by anxiety and pain and past wounds. And for some, the very idea that you will gather together with extended family, maybe it's extended family where there's been some deep wounds and there's actually not been a whole lot of reconciliation. For some, this time of year reminds you how lonely you are. And for some of us, we enter the holidays all too aware that somebody's not at the table. Some of the people we love the most have gone on home to be with the Lord. And so for many this time of year, the, the very real legitimate distractions can rob us of the very peace that the Prince has ushered in for us. And if we don't press back against those very real distractions and square ourselves to focus on Jesus, we will find ourselves with a lack of rest. But Jesus doesn't just tell her you're anxious about many things. He tells her you're anxious and troubled. And I believe that distraction from Jesus, you know, it's just going to cause trouble. As a matter of fact, like a lot of English words, the, the word distraction finds its origin in Latin. And the, the root understanding of the Latin word that we, we pull distraction from is the concept of pulling apart of separating. And when distractions rule the day, I think we just come undone. Man, everything just comes apart. And, and, and this idea that, man, she was working hard, Martha was working hard, but she was coming apart. She was being pulled apart. And I 
I read a phenomenal quote uh, recently by Pastor Craig Rochelle. He said he tells his kids this all the time. And this is great. It's one I'm going to try to get in my long-term memory so that I can continue to speak this out to myself and my own kids. But he, he said this. He said, the devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. Man, that's so powerful. The devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can just distract you. And, and maybe you're like, man, we're talking about the devil on an Advent sermon? Come on, shouldn't this be about like jolly and stuff? And here's the thing. Uh, we've got to remember, even in the midst of a happy season like this, there's a very real enemy who wants to steal our peace and kill God's future for us and destroy the dreams that God's placed in our hearts. There's a war. And if the enemy can't defeat us by getting us just to go off the rails and do horrible, terrible things, maybe he'll just get us to do some lesser important things. Maybe he'll just distract us with what isn't, what isn't necessary and with what isn't best. The Christmas song says it's the most wonderful time of year. And what I would submit to you is I think this is the most distracted time of the year. Distracted with good things. Notice that, that it says Martha was distracted with much serving. She wasn't distracted with much sinning, right? She wasn't distracted with much selfies. She wasn't distracted with laziness or playing too many video games or whatever. No, she's, she's serving Jesus. And here's the thing, according to the way the story reads, had she not been, there wouldn't have been any groceries. They wouldn't, there wouldn't have been anybody preparing the food. She's doing a good thing. And here's the thing, as the pastor of a smaller church, I want you to hear me today, serving is a good thing. We need people to serve in the nursery. We need people to serve with temple kids. We need people to serve as greeters. Serving is a great thing. But she was so busy... She missed Jesus. And if ever there's a time of year where our calendars are full of good things that could end up actually pulling us apart and we don't engage with Jesus, it's the holiday season. If ever there's a time of year where this battles for us. So I want to share a quote with you that was incredibly impactful for me as a young man. My sophomore year of Bible college um, there was a, an event that we were all invited to for college students. They had a special guest speaker come in from out of town. I don't remember who he was. I don't remember what scripture he spoke on. I don't remember anything else he said except for this one thing. He said a good thing, if it's not the best thing, can be a bad thing. And, and I was in a time in life where I was, you know, in college, right? You're trying to figure out what's next and what's, what's life going to look like. And I felt like I had a hundred good opportunities, and I didn't know which way to go. And it was so helpful for me to realize, listen, my theology is that I serve a God who wants his best for me. He doesn't just want what's good. <laughs> he wants what's best. And, and there's a hundred good things that can absolutely drive you into the ground over the next few weeks. But a good thing, if it's not the best thing, hear me can actually be a bad thing. Don't be so busy about the good that we miss the best. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the church at Corinth, was talking uh, about relationships and about marriage and actually a really pretty complicated passage of Scripture. 
But he explains why he's dealing with relationships from this perspective. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, I'm saying this for your benefit. Not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I love that. The Apostle Paul said, hey, my leadership role in your life is this. Pursue what's God's best for you without a whole lot of distractions. That's some really good Christmas advice for us. Maybe the best thing we can do is say no to some good things. Maybe the best thing we can do is is not throw out so many yeses every time we're asked of something and every opportunity that comes our way. And I don't think we can talk about distractions without talking about the little device that's in your pocket or your purse or maybe in your hand right now. Uh, We cannot talk about distractions, and this is year-round, not just at Christmas, but specifically this time of year. I really want to challenge you. Don't let your phone distract you from the moment this Christmas. Don't let your phone distract you from the moment this Christmas. Don't miss memories because you're scrolling to see other people's memories. Be in the moment with what God has placed in your life right now. And I'll tell you, I'm not anti-cell phone. I'm I'm an Apple addict. I I, I love technology. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. But y'all realize, right, like this human experiment... The smartphone is like a brand new thing. We're less than two decades into the accessibility of this technology. And, and two decades might sound like a long time to the young people in the room, but let me just give that to the contrast of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Humankind lived and thrived without seeing any cat videos. Not one. Humankind could thrive with not knowing what you had for lunch today. This, this new experiment that, that is supposedly connecting us to people outside of our home is disconnecting us from the people inside our home. And those are the only people we're going to stand before the throne of God with one day. Don't let your phone rob you of the moment this holiday season. Distract you from your memories. We can't go for more than five minutes without checking our phones, y'all. The idea of phantom texts, checking your phone, you think you felt it vibrate? It didn't vibrate. Some brand new research um, just in the last few months about cell phone usage in the U.S., On average, as Americans, we spend at least three hours and 15 minutes a day on our phones. Three hours and 15 minutes a day on our phones. When you combine that with tablet use, Americans spend an average of four hours and 33 minutes a day on a screen. And that doesn't include television or computer. Just phone and tablet, four hours and 33 minutes. Had a middle schooler in the early service who pulled out his iPhone and showed his dad his screen time and was like, it's only three hours. I'm way better than the average. (laughs) And and I want you to think about this. So if the average night's sleep is eight hours, we're awake for approximately 16 hours a day, that means a quarter of our day we're looking at a screen. 
instead of engaging with life around us. That's profound to me, four hours and 33 minutes. Now, they tracked how often a day do people check their phones, and this seemed low to me, um, but the research says that most Americans check their phone 58 times per day. And I thought it was more than that. Actually, I kind of sniffed around it because I was like, I don't think that can be right. And this is because usually later in the day, we don't ever put it down. So we spend a lot of time on the phone. We're just not having to check it because it's in our face. At least 30 of the times that we check a day, they say on average, is while we're being paid to do something other than check our phones. (laughs) While we're on the clock during work hours. And most of us know that a lot of that time spent on our phones is due to social media. The average for an American on social media is just over two hours a day. Just over two hours a day on social media alone uh, on our devices. What's interesting is a lot of the adults in the room, social media wasn't around when you were younger. So imagine this generation that's growing up with social media throughout the duration of a lifetime. That means over seven years of our lives will be spent on social media. Over seven years of our lives will be lived in virtual reality instead of reality. We are so distracted by our phones, we can't even tell where we're going. Y'all watch this video. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. I'm pretty sure that guy in the suit broke his back, and y'all were just laughing at him. <laughs> Here's the thing. My, my goal in, in bringing our attention specifically to our, our devices with distractions is not to beat anybody up. We're, we're not trying to produce any parent guilt here. It's to challenge you. Listen, th- there might be some great things that you're viewing on your phone, some beautiful pictures, and especially this time of year, everybody's in their red and black plaid. You know, it's like, oh, look at that family. Oh, they're all wearing the same thing. There's apparently a white person uniform now. Oh, look at that. But the reality is a good thing, if it's not the best thing, can be a bad thing. And so let's just be present with what God has for us today. So I want to share another from my sophomore year of Bible college, another thing that has really stuck with me that I struggle with. I had to go see a professor to ask for mercy to get an extension on a project that was due. My excuse was I had been on a really good opportunity for the college speaking at an event, and so I was out of town. I needed mercy. I needed an extension on this project. And this professor said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the extension, but you're going to have to listen to me first. He said, I think the number one battle that you've got to fight is you have got to learn how to be where you are. 
He said, every time I engage with you, I feel like you're at the next thing. Your mind is somewhere else. You've got to learn to be where you are. And I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? Man, what, what, now, I don't know where he got that from. Gandhi actually said something similar to that. So I don't know if my uh, New Testament professor was uh, studying up on Gandhi that morning. But that idea that the moment you're in, friend, hear me today. The moment you're in today is on purpose. God in eternity past has orchestrated this Christmas season in such a way for you that he's got something for you. It's not by accident. Jesus didn't show up at Mary and Martha's house by accident that day. It was on purpose. And God has created you for this moment in history for beautiful purposes. Man, you've got too much going for you. You've got too much destiny in your life. You've got too much purpose in your life to miss the moment. Be where you are. Don't let the distractions rob you of what God's up to right in front of your face. Because these moments will be gone all too quick. And if distraction is the, the negative side of this coin, then what's the positive side? Well, the, the opposite of distraction is focus, right? And, and here's the benefit of focusing on the person of Christ. When we focus on Jesus, it brings us connection. Remember I told you the, that the root definition from the Latin word for distraction is a pulling apart? Man, well, focus brings it all together. That beautiful description of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. What an incredible picture. To sit in, to bask in the presence of God and to hear his voice. I've got to be honest with you. As much as we've worked to get the house looking sharp for y'all, if during the open house today Jesus shows up, I'm dropping everything. Right? But here's the thing, y'all. He is present. <laughs> he is here. He is in your living room. He's in your cubicle at work. He's just as present as if he walked in and ate a meal with us. I shared this past summer that Dr. Jonathan Okinaga always refers to God as the most important person in the room. That's the phrase he uses all the time in reference to God. I love that phrase. Because here's the thing. He's not just the most important person in this room when we gather for worship. He's the most important person in every room. Because everywhere you go, there he is. He's present. And, and no, we don't get to see his feet as we sit at it. But if we will just turn down the noise, if we will discipline ourselves away from the distraction, if we will say no to the lesser things, even the good things, so that we can recognize, be aware of, bask in the best thing, the presence of the living God. He's present. His presence is something that we have to work up or ask for or manipulate emotionally. No, all of that effort is just to recognize He's already here. He's present. She sat at His feet. But she didn't just enjoy His presence. She listened to His teaching. 
wonder what he talked about that day. We don't have record of anything he said about what he was teaching. Just the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha thing. She heard the voice of the Son of God teach her as she sat at his feet. Isn't that incredible? Almost makes you a little bit jealous, doesn't it? Until we remember, we do have his voice. We do have his word. And it's just as available today as it was when she sat at his feet. What if this Christmas season we said, you know what, in the midst of all the busyness and the, all the, the obligations on the calendar, what I'm going to do is between now and Christmas morning, I am going to carve out time to sit in the presence of God and to hear his voice. I shared with you last week, we've got a bunch of great Advent devotionals out in the foyer, in the cafe. You didn't have to start at the beginning of the Advent season. Pick it up today. Start on December 8th. It's no big deal. Start tomorrow. Start Tuesday. Just start somewhere. Because I believe there's some people in this room who say, man, I'm real inconsistent with my time in the Word. It's intimidating to me, or I don't know where to start, or I don't know what to do. This could be a perfect season as we celebrate the coming of Jesus to begin to grow the muscle memory of listening, of hearing God speak. I encourage you, listen, take advantage. If, if you use the version app, there's a ton of Advent reading plans that, that you can connect with. Just start somewhere. Because the connection you'll find in meeting with Jesus, better than anything else life has to offer. And, and this, this is more important than any other distraction. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other distracting things, good things, will be added to you as I see fitting in my time. But seek first. What if, what if for the next few weeks between now and Christmas, what if the first thing every day wasn't Instagram, it was Jesus? What if the first thing wasn't check my emails from last night or or see if anybody replied to that picture I uploaded? What if the first thing was, Jesus, you are present today, and that's what's most important. I'm beginning my day with you in reality. Seek him first. What about the first day of the week? What if we made a determination in the midst of the holidays? We're going to continue to do what we did today. We're going to get up on the first day of the week and we're going to come together with the people of God and worship God. Listen, I honor you for being here today in the midst of this crazy season. Let's keep it up and meet with God. And in this season where we celebrate gift giving and we're getting stuff we don't even need, let's also, as we're talking about seeking first, let's remember the principle of first fruits. That, that the, the first portion of everything God gives me, I give a portion back to him out of gratitude. That he's, he's entrusted this to me. Seek first. That connection, that focus, it puts to death anxiety and it calms the trouble. Focus on the person of Jesus. And, and here's why. Paul David Tripp always says we never drift towards wholeness. We only drift towards brokenness. We never drift towards flourishing. We drift towards chaos. 
We never drift towards peace. We drift towards turmoil. We never drift towards Christ. We drift towards self, towards flesh. And so we're not just coasting this holiday season. Let's be more diligent than ever to fight against the distractions. To focus on the person of Jesus. Here's here's where we will end our time together. Focusing on Jesus leads to lasting meaning. Lasting meaning. I I love, you know, Jesus talks about this idea of of sitting at his feet is the one thing that's necessary. That's so beautiful. But then he, he tells Martha this. He says, man, your sister, as annoyed as you are at her, she chose what will not be taken away from her. The time we invest in our communion with Jesus is investing in the eternal. And, and, and that jumped off the page to me for a couple reasons. One is, w- with the pace of this holiday season, y'all, before we know it, the decorations are going to be all packaged up. Before we know it, we're going to be rushing into a new year, a new decade. And before we know it, we're going to be on the other side. As a matter of fact, it feels like we just had Christmas. Life's moving so fast. But there is something that remains. And that's the spiritual fruit. That can't be taken from you. Now, I, we didn't grow up very wealthy. I, I don't remember any extravagant Christmas presents ever in my childhood. But having said that, I'll be honest with you. I don't actually ever remember a single Christmas gift I ever got as a kid. I can't remember when I look back in my life, I can take you to places where I believe I encountered the presence of Jesus. And those moments can't ever be taken from me. Long after the Christmas gift is forgotten or isn't in style anymore or doesn't fit anymore, man, the time I've spent with Jesus lasts forever. And this this idea of being present in the moment is partly because these moments are fleeting. It dawned on me as I was preparing for the sermon, as I was thinking about this idea of the eternality of our focus on Jesus. And I was thinking about, man, a year is coming to a close that feels like it just started. And a decade's coming to a close that feels like it just started. And then I realized in, in the next decade, all three of our sons are going to graduate from high school and go to the next chapter of their life. Life is moving really fast. These moments are precious. Let's make sure we're leveraging them for what matters most. To connect with Jesus. To sit at His feet. To hear His voice. And to let Him be our focus. The Prince of Peace has come so that we don't have to be buried by distractions in anxiety and in trouble. Instead, we can be connected to Him. And that's what remains. Nothing.